Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Well, good morning to each of you folks here uh, on the screen uh, that we can gather today and be able to study the God's Word. I think there's no better way to start the day uh, than to do that in community, uh, to open the Word, and then to ask the Holy Spirit to make it a living thing to us. So uh, let's take a moment and let's just pray. Let's give the Lord an open, receptive heart. Lord, I want to thank you uh, <clears throat> for my brothers and sisters uh, that are hungry, to know you more and to study your word. And I know, Lord, you said you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek you, Lord. So we seek you today, Lord. We seek to get a better understanding of who you are as we read 2 Samuel 6. I just pray, Father, through your spirit that you would open our eyes to see new things, uh, that you'd help us, Lord, uh, not only to learn them, but then to, to apply them and to put them into action in our everyday life. So Lord, we're coming and we're expecting to meet you. And we just thank you again uh, for what you're gonna do in this time together. That it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's jump in. Second Samuel chapter six. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose. He went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ayo, the sons of Abinadad, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abimadad, which was on the hill, and Elio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of firwood and with lyres and harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Yizza, reached out toward the ark of God, took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obidium the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obadim the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obadim 
and all his household. Well, it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obadam and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. And David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obidium into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Then it happened, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent where David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants. Maids as one of the foolish ones, shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord of Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Let's jump in here. Um, when I'm looking at this chapter, uh, five points come to my mind. Uh, number one uh, is that we need to know that God is a holy God. It's important to realize that he is holy. Number two, we must have a, a healthy fear of the Lord. Number three, um, it's important that we have a freedom uh, to praise God from our hearts. And then number four, a bad attitude has consequences. And last uh, is it's important to be humble. So those are the five points I'd like us to look at as we look at <laughs> Second Samuel chapter six. So let's look at the first one. God is a holy God. Uh, let's just start right in the beginning, 6-1. Now David had gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose, went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned above the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abimadad, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Eliel, the sons of Abimadad, were leading the new cart. So here they are. 
They're trying to bring the ark forward. And then let me just jump over to verse six and seven. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God, took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned again Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. I think that particular scripture has got a lot of people uh, wondering, like, what is this all about? I know when I read it, in the beginning, I thought, wow, I mean, like, what's the point here? Uh, from what we see, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is the most holy object in the tabernacle. Uh, and it represents the very presence of God himself, the holy God. And we need to know uh, that because of this, this particular Ark needs to be treated very, very, very carefully and very respectfully. And I think we'll get a handle on why God was so upset. I mean, it seems rather uh, rather harsh. They're carrying this ark. It's on a, a platform that's carrying it, moving it forward with animals. And we're told that uh, it was almost going to tip over. Maybe there's a bump in the road, wood over. And literally, all this priest was is he tried to study that ark so it didn't fall off. That looks like he has good intentions, and it seems like it's an okay thing. And yet, because of this, God literally strikes the man dead. Like, what is this about? So I think to get a hint on this, we need to know a little bit of a background about this. Uh, let me just give you a couple of scriptures. I'm just going to read them here for you. In Exodus uh, 25 and verse 12. Um, we're told how God designed the ark and how it was designed to be carried. Um, Exodus 25, 12, it says, You shall cast four gold rings for it, fasten them on its four feet, and the two rings shall be on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of a keddie wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings of the sides of the ark to carry the ark with them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be removed from them. So the ark is holy. And what it's saying here is God designed it that there were holders on either side of the ark attached to the ark. And there were poles that went through those loops to carry the ark. So they were not to carry the ark directly because it was extremely holy. They were to carry it with poles on either end and not touch it. In fact, God gave them a warning. Uh, and this is in Numbers chapter 4 and verse 15. Uh, we hear this. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects, that would be the Ark of the Covenant, and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set out, after the sons of Koth shall come to carry them so that they may not, here it is, touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of the meeting which the sons of Koth are to carry. So basically, God said back here, even in Numbers, it said, do not touch the ark. Don't touch it or else you'll die. God said this is an extremely holy object 
object. It literally represents my holy presence and human hands that are defiled and human hands that are sinful can't touch it because if they do, there's got to be a judgment. And even though Uzzah had a good intent to study the ark, he should have known better than to touch it because God warned them, hey, it needs to be carried in a certain way with poles on either end. And do not touch it because God warned, if you touch it, you will die. Uh, this is an extreme object lesson to Israel saying, I am a holy God. And even though you may think you're doing something right, if I've said it's holy and to do it a certain way, you need to do it that way or else. I think we see an illustration of this in the New Testament. Another one we, we wonder about sometimes maybe is the story in Acts 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. Basically, people are contributing property to help people in need. And Ananias and Sapphira, they also give property. Uh, this is found in uh, Acts chapter 5. The problem is, as they give the property, nothing wrong with that, but they lied to Peter saying, hey, we've given kind of like all of our money here, but they, they didn't. They were deceptive. And because of that, literally, God struck them down. And again, it looks very extreme, very harsh. But I think God was trying to say both in the Old and the New Testament, these are object lessons that God is a holy God and we cannot play games with him. We, I think so often in our society, we, we talk about God as loving and goods, God's kind and God's comforting and supporting all these things, which he is. But we also realize not only is God loving, he also is a holy God that is totally sin-free, a holy God who is perfect. Uh, an illustration, let me give you just one other scripture of what happens when we encounter a holy God. And I think probably this is more than any other scripture in the Bible reveals his holiness. This is in Isaiah chapter 6. Let me read it for you. 6.1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe thrown the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another, and they said, here it is, holy, 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 it's the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold surrounded the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Now, here's what happens. Isaiah literally encounters the living God the holy God, and here is his response. Isaiah 6, 5. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So <clears throat> we need to realize, I think, through these two stories of Uzzah being struck down and Ananias being struck down with Sapphira, that we can't just trifle with God. He is loving, caring, kind, but he's a holy, sin-free God, and he must judge sin because it's just disgusting 
to him. It's the antithesis of who he is. So number one, through that illustration of the cart being tossed over and being struck down Uzzah, uh, we need to know God is a holy God, which leads to point number two, is we need to have a healthy fear and respect of God because he is holy. <clears throat> if you uh, want to see that holy respect shown, if you look in Luke 2, there's, any, there's angels that appear to a group of shepherds. And it says, the glory of the Lord came upon the shepherds. I mean, what that must have been like, like heaven invaded earth, literally. And what's the response of the shepherds? Like, oh, hey, that's cool. Really neat. I'm glad we could see the angels. No, it's they said here they were terrified and they were frightened. When God shows up, mankind shakes. Uh, we see in the last book of the Bible, and I could give you other illustrations. But in Revelation chapter 2, John, the disciple, is on the Isle of Patmos. He gets a vision of the risen, resurrected, ascended Jesus in all his glory. In other words, Jesus showed up. And the response of John is, it says, he fell at his feet like a dead man. We need to realize that when we encounter God, there's got to be a sense of all that happens. It happens. All happens. And respect happens. And people, in a sense, fall on their face because they've encountered a God that's way beyond who they think he is in his majesty and his glory. They need to realize that God is not just, just one of my buddies. And I hear people refer to God, the man upstairs. I don't think we have a clue on just how big and holy God is. We need to realize that he's the almighty creator of heaven and earth, and that we are his dependent creatures. So I believe only God can show us this. We could read these scriptures about Uzzah and Ananias and Sapphira. We can hear about Isaiah. And you could say, hey, isn't that interesting? God's holy. I need to have a fear of him. But folks, if God shows up in your life, point blank, you're going to buckle at the knees because it's overwhelming. And we will immediately see just how much sin is in our lives that we may be blind to. So number one, God is a holy God. And because he's holy, he has to judge sin. He has to, or he contradicts his own nature. Number two, because God's holy, we need to have a, a, a fear of respect of who he is. Not a, a fear that a lightning bolt's going to zap us, but just a, a, a respect and awe of how great he is. In Proverbs 1, 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, if we want to be wise, it begins with knowing who God is, and knowing who we are. In Proverbs 9, 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we really, really want to be wise and knowledgeable as Christians, we need to realize what the fear of God is and practice it in our lives. It says this. Um, it says, not only is the fear of God the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Lord, it is understanding. It gives us understanding, this proper respect of God. 
It's a fountain of life. It leads to life. It prolongs our life. So let's know God is holy. And let's so not only know that, but let's have a healthy fear and respect of him. Okay. Number three. I think we need to know that when we praise God, we need to praise him freely and from our heart, not mechanically. So often, I think sometimes we go to church and, and we're locked up emotionally and we kind of sit there kind of like stiff in the chair. Not all, but sometimes that's the way it is. I, I kind of think uh, I'm just kind of picking on the guys a minute. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we come to church, we sit there. Okay, we sit there and we're kind of solemn. But you put a guy out to a football game, and they're like, they're crazy. They're hollering, shouting, going nuts. They're excited about this crazy ball that looks oblong, and they're shouting about this ball being thrown here and there. And yet, they can have such excitement and enthusiasm there. And yet, we can go to church and say, okay. So the Bible is very clear that we're to worship God freely from the heart. I'd be able to express our emotions. Now, let me give you some illustrations. The Bible says it is biblical to clap our hands in worship. Psalm 47.1. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to the Lord with a voice of joy. Uh, it's biblical to raise our hands. And I, I think we see that uh, in our church with many people. Uh, it says this, Psalm 134.2. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Bible says we're to kneel. Uh, Psalm 95.6. Come, let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Here's something even a little bit more radical. Hey, we're called to even dance at times before the Lord. Psalm 149.3. Uh, let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and with the lyre. Talk about dancing. Uh, look at David. He danced. Uh, look at chapter 6, verse 14. As David's bringing the ark into the city uh, <clears throat> of Jerusalem, it says, verse 14, And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord, was shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I mean, they were having a gigantic celebration. So we're to be uninhibited in our praise of God. And I'm, I'm asking myself the question, like, why are we inhibited? Why are we inhibited? Um, three things come to mind. Number one, maybe God is not very exciting to us. You know, there's some people, for them, Christianity is, it's like a list of rules. Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. And it's like, it's not very exciting. It's just like, it's, it's sometimes boring. Sometimes it's a chore. It just, Christianity is just going through the motions. Well, if you don't have a, a genuine conversion experience and an intimate walk with the Lord, 
that may not be very exciting to worship it. So I think that's one reason maybe there's not excitement of worship. People have not really made a heart commitment to Christ. I think number two, why we may be inhibited in our worship, I think is maybe we've been raised to say that um, if you're worshiping God, it has to be very dignified. It has to be very proper. I know some people that have been brought up in those churches, you kind of sit there and you just kind of keep your mouth quiet and you just, it's a proper setting. I think probably one of the major reasons why there's not a freedom in worship uh, is because we're afraid of people's reactions and their judgments. Let me say it again. Maybe we're not free because we're thinking, you know, hey, if I clap my hands or I raise my hands in church, people are think I'm a little weird. I know I've wrestled with that at times. There's been times uh, in worship where I felt almost like I need to just get on my knees uh, right in front of the chair I'm sitting on. And sometimes I've not done it because I'm thinking, ah, that's going to look maybe weird, or what are people going to think? Um, I don't know if you've ever had that. Uh, that's called, in a sense, quenching the spirit. Uh, not that you have to do that, but if the spirit's urging you, and I think sometimes the spirit prompts us to, to, to let loose, and, you know, like, I want to raise my hands, but, oh, I better not. What are people going to think? So we, I think we need to get beyond people's opinions and their judgments, and just whatever's here in our heart, we need to let it loose. Uh, folks, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be inhibited there. Uh, if you look at the songs of worship in the book of Revelation, I mean, the angels are ecstatic in their worship. Uh, so let me just say this as I'm wrapping up this little section. Um, that doesn't mean we have to dance all the time to show that we have authentic worship. Uh, there's a, a verse in uh, Habakkuk, that's one of the little prophets. Habakkuk chapter 220, it says this, the Lord is in the holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So there's a time not to get all jumping around, but a time just to, to sit there quietly and realize we're in the presence of God Almighty, the holy God. So bottom line is our praise should be free and it should come not just from our head, but it should be from our hearts. So I would encourage you, I encourage me to, if the spirit leads you to do something, do it. If he leads you to, to clap your hands, raise your hands, kneel, whatever, do it. Um, dancing, wow, the Lord would kind of have to give me a little bit of a kick in the pants to just kind of go dance right in the middle of the service there. <laughs> but, you know, if he does, then we have to do it. So bottom line, be free in your worship. So number four, uh, a bad attitude has consequences. So here David is, he's excited. He's bringing in the ark. I mean, he is dancing. He is just ecstatic. Uh, and yet his wife, Michael, is not a happy camper. Okay. Uh, if you look at verse 16, then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, that's David's wife, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And here it is. And she despised him in her heart. She's looking down at him. 
despise. That's a strong, strong word. And look at 20. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to him and said, and here's what she says to David, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. She's mocking him. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants, maids, as one of the foolish ones, shamelessly uncovers himself. Uh, basically, uh, he says, 21, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me roar over the people, the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. So she looks down on him. I, I think probably the difference is David knows the Lord. He's an intimate relationship with the Lord. And uh, Michael, I think maybe just knew about the Lord. I don't think she probably had this heart connection with God. It was more of a, uh, well, this is what I'm supposed to do because I'm an Israelite kind of thing. Uh, so her attitude was wrong, dead wrong. And there was a consequence. Look at verse 23. And Michael, uh, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. So there was a consequence with this bad attitude. So uh, what I get out of that is basically bad attitudes steal our joy and they leave us empty. And here's the last one, the importance of humility. If you look at uh, verse 22, David explained to Michael why he was so excited. And then he says at 22, I will be more lightly esteemed than this. In other words, if you think I'm excited now, Michael, you haven't seen anything yet. And I will be humble in my own eyes, but with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. In other words, I'm going to dance all I want because it's unto the Lord. And those with the right heart are going to celebrate with me. Uh, and he said, I'll do that with humbleness. Humbleness is really, really, really important. Really, really important. Uh, it says this. In Matthew 23, verse 12, uh, this is Jesus speaking, okay? He said this, uh, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is saying, you know, if you, if you just try to exalt yourself and be number one, you're going to be humbled. But if you come with a humble heart, uh, a humble, I think, uh, the best way to describe humble to me, I think, is being um, desperate. Knowing that I'm desperately in need of God and that I'm radically dependent on him. It's the opposite of proud. Proud is I could do it by myself. I'm my own master. Uh, humbleness is no, I'm a creature and I really need you, Lord. And I'm weak and I'm looking for you to be my helper. So Jesus said, if you, if you exalt yourself and be prideful, I'm going to put you in your place. On the other hand, if you know that you are a person of great need, then I'm going to lift you up and I'll exalt you. Uh, there's another verse, uh, James chapter 4, verse 6. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If God sees a proud heart, 
uh, it's not a good picture. He's opposed to that because that's what got Satan in trouble. Instead of just being an angel worshiping God, Satan said, no, I want to be equal with God. And he became proud. And that just got literally Satan kicked out of heaven. And by the way, proudness will get us kicked out of heaven. So we need to be humble. We need to be humble and realize we're weak. But you know, the Lord doesn't leave us in our weakness. Once we're humble, he fills our weakness with his strength, which is an amazing thing. And the way I, I think God allows us to be humbled is through the school of hard knocks in life. And you go through life and you think, okay, I can handle this. I can do this. I'm smart enough for this. I have strength for this. And then we fall flat on our face. And another situation comes. Yeah, I can, I can do this. I can live the Christian life on my own power. I had da-da-da. Again, we fall. And this happens over and over and over and over and over and over. I know as a pastor coming out of seminary in my first church, oh man, you know, we can, I can do this. Um, and you know, just stay in the ministry long enough and you find out, man, you can't do nothing. Period. You can't change anybody's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can. So uh, I think humbleness has worked into us as we walk with the Lord and just see that we can't live a perfect life. We can't live a life of pure love for others. We can't live a life uh, of forgiveness on our own abilities and powers. So humility is extremely important. So so what's the takeaway from 2 Samuel chapter 6? I think number one, we need to see that God's holy and we need to have a, a, a true awe and respect of him. And, uh, you know, I guess what I would say here practically is we, we hear God's loving and he is. I think we need to pray Holy Spirit. Notice his name, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, open my spiritual eyes. Let me see the holiness of God. And when God shows you his tremendous holiness and, and his perfection, it humbles us and shows us we're sinners and that we're in need of salvation. So pray not just to have a theological understanding in the head of holiness, pray to experience the holy God. And boy, when God shows up, it'll change you. And, and then I think, learn to praise God freely. Uh, I think that's something I need to grow in, all of us need to grow in, and that as we're in worship, whether privately or, or, or in our church setting, if the spirit urges you to do something, to raise your hands, to kneel, to bow, whatever, uh, feel free to, to, to worship God freely. Uh, the Psalms illustrate that so well. I think we need to ask God to show us that we have bad attitudes in us. Michael had a bad attitude and it messed her up. Uh, we may have attitudes in us, chips on our shoulders, uh, unforgiveness of people, um, just a negative, cynical view of life, whatever. I think we need to say, Holy Spirit, search me. Are there attitudes in me that don't align with God's word? And let the Spirit reveal them. And last, uh, let's seek to walk humbly before the Lord. Yeah, we're weak. But we don't have to stay in our weakness. The Lord wants to fill our weakness with his strength. So I think there's some good points here. 
in 2 Samuel 6. And I just pray for all of us that these would not just be uh, concepts in our mind, in our brain, uh, but that the Holy Spirit would work these out in our everyday lives. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this chapter, uh, that it's rich in describing, Lord, who you are, uh, and it's rich in showing us the proper attitudes. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you're loving, you're good, you're kind, you're merciful. But we also know, Lord, you're holy and you're just, and at times your wrath breaks out against sin. I pray, Lord, give us a fresh view of that. And Lord, uh, we just pray, uh, liberate us in worship, that we can worship in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we just pray, uh, Lord, if there's any attitudes in us that are not right, Holy Spirit, we may be even be blind to some of these prejudices or, or things that are in us. Lord, we just pray, Holy Spirit, point them out in us that we can remove them. And Lord, just help us to walk humbly with you realizing we're the creature, we're not the creator, uh, and that we desperately need your grace and your mercy each and every day. So Lord, I just pray you'd put a blessing on each of my brothers and sisters. Help us to be a bright light today in somebody else's life. And Lord, we just pray it in your strong and holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great day, and may the Lord walk with you. Amen.